Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday evening, I guess, the beginning. And uh, I'll see if I can for purposes of efficiency, because i got to go out of town later uh, this week, see if I can take a whack at the uh, saying something about tefillah, um, tefillah podcast, which is always sponsored by Mishpacha Stefanski. And speaking of the devil, I was wondering, this is the truth, I was wondering, you know, what what I talk about, and then he sent me the... Uh, auction um, um, catalog, I guess. I told you, he's making the Stefanski family, the Genozim, G-N-A-Z-Y-M. They're making one of these uh, auctions, if you got dough, and uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing. And they have rare Judaica and Sfarim and things. Actually, amazing stuff, to be perfectly honest. And if you're at all interested in this, you know, just go and Google them and say, send me a catalog, unless you have the patience. If you're the new generation, you can read everything online. I'm the old generation, so I said, for me to really do it right, I need something physical in my hands. That's just who I am. You know, I go back to the era of typewriters. But, uh, and so they sent me one and the two. And uh, I was looking through it, and maybe it's because I was thinking about the podcast for Trila, maybe. Otherwise, I don't know. What caught my eye the other day, I was actually sitting with my wife, was uh, that they have, among other things, this item, uh, which is a uh, trinus for women, Kovic trinus Michel Anoshim Italia. It's this written very pretty. Here we have what we call women's prayer, which is not something that we talked about much, and which is an interesting feature of Judaism since women are 50%. Uh, and yet, women did not write the tefillahs, the men did. And um, that has always led to funny situations. I would say davening in general, I'm going to speak in general terms today about tefillah, and maybe more of the historical side. Um, but let's put it this way. You know, there was informal prayers, as the Rambam says, and then it turned into formal prayer. But the formal prayer, especially when it, it really mushroomed into a sitter form, uh, what did that mean? sociologically, for the masses of Jews many, many, many hundreds of years ago. Uh, today, 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 everybody has a day school education of some sort or another. You can at least read the Hebrew, and you got the art school, so to speak. You know, I mean, that sort of thing. Whatever your translation is. We live in the age of translations. And if anything, the translations currently are yeshivish. Notice they try to be very accurate, give a firm spin on things, Sometimes they'll even give you, like the art scroll, a little bit of the historical background. Uh, it's a work of scholarship. I think I mentioned to you, I knew a guy once at Baal Shua. He made a scene at Shomri many years ago. On, um passed away, actually. On the sitter. And, you know, it's not nothing to laugh at. Because he was starting from scratch. So, you know, the sitter is an avoda. And, although I've never exactly been like that. And it's never drawn my attention so much, there's an entire field of scholarship called the field of liturgy and sedurum. 
you can totally, I mean, I'm going to say something that you'll 100% agree with. I could totally hear somebody would make, I'm making a Seder, I'm Kaveh Seder, to learn with the Chavrusa, the Seder Yaakov Emden. Take it from me. There's <laughs> plenty in there for a long time. Or the Seder Hashlaw that I was talking about with Noah Shavrik the other day. Or um, perhaps Sadigon, if you're that way, um, you know, with the Arabic and all that stuff. But uh, you see what I'm saying? It's an Avoda. It's an Avoda. Um, there are other things like that. And now we live in, we're in the state of Israel, so is a mushrooming of, of different Sidurim with all kinds of different uh, commentaries of Farshim. But that's primarily because we have a very large number of Jews today who are literate in Hebrew to one degree or another, which was not the case in the past. Now, I am well aware that most Jews, especially in Chutzlars, can't read Hebrew to save their life. That's just an, a sad fact. We live in an age in which rove of the Jewish people are in tremendous Hebrew illiteracy, Jewish illiteracy in general. I granted. But I'm speaking about the firm world, let's put it that way, which is a growing phenomenon. Uh, if you took this concept of the firm world and took it back 100, 200, 300 years ago, how many people could read Hebrew and, 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 and understand it? You understand? The women usually couldn't. They didn't have a formal education, as you know very well. Uh, not in Eastern Europe, not in typical Ashkenaz. Now, there are exceptions, of course. There's always exceptions. You have the Yentles, you know. That's true. And uh, there were those women who wrote uh, Yiddish uh, Trinas precisely because they were the educated ones knew the Hebrew, and they're trying to be a bridge, if I can use this term, try to be the art scroll, between the Hamun Am of the masses of illiterate women on the one hand, and the world of scholarship, which they, these literate women, educated women, were able to bridge. So that's just an interesting phenomenon. I did a a, a bunch of talks last summer on the Yiddish history of Yiddish uh, for Dr. Leventhal. It's online, you know, if you if you look on the history site. And uh, one of the things we talked about was uh, this business of Yiddish literature, especially in the early modern era. Uh, you know, uh, where they published uh, the I'll I'll use language that you'll understand the age of the Tzenarena, You know. You know, that era when a lot of stuff was translated into Yiddish, and uh, that enabled women, for example, uh, and men too, you know, they wouldn't admit it, but you know, men too, because uh, to, to understand the, the prayers to some degree. Who, in fact, in many places in Europe, there used to be like one or two ladies that that understood, and they would be in shul in the Ezra's Narsham, and it's, if it was real from, it'd be like a, a, an, a, an adjacent room with a hole in between, and... Uh, the few women that understood would translate and explain Yiddish for the others. You understand? This was the old days and the old school. Now, the exception were communities here and there where, for one reason or another, um, the women had some kind of an education. Italy being a case in point. It's very interesting if you take the trouble to pull out, as I just did, my rusty, trusty Simcha Asaf. Uh, which is told us, uh, Makarso told us, the Chinuch of Yisrael, one of my favorite books, it's three or four volumes, with a very wonderful introduction. I'm almost tempted to read and translate the introduction once as a podcast. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. It's very, very good. Anything he does is great. And he has all these Makaros, and one of them is all about Italy. And you see that in Italy, they were a little more faithful to the classic, I'll call it the Zilberman style, in which Ben Chamish Lamikra, Ben Eser Lamishna, Ben Chamish Yisraeli Gemara, you know, and so forth. Uh, that is to say, they had more of a graded curriculum kind of idea. 
and they taught basic literacy and other stuff to Jewish girls. Now, not everywhere, but in a surprising number of places. And therefore, if I look at this Gnosim catalog, it's on the beginning, it's item 221 or whatever it is, at the end, beginning, and it's and they have over here a manuscript prayers for women in Italy, early 19th century, and they have wonderful, some lady obviously had a wonderful calligraphy, you understand? Wonderful calligraphy. And these are trinas, in other words, they're original um, prayers composed by the women. In this case, it seems like a girl, as, as far as I can tell by the uh, handwriting. A girl, and she's a from girl. She's obviously not going to yeshiva, but she goes to shul, and uh, and she's writing a, a, a philos in addition to what she's going to read in the sitter. And, you know, it's very from, and, you know, Hashem, give me a good family and a good husband, and, you know, I should have, uh, this is supposed to raise the children, everybody should be healthy, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And it's Vorm Hayotzim in Aleph, because that's always the advantage of this auxiliary literature that I'm talking about today, what I call auxiliary, it's it's in addition to what you find in the formal Sidurim. And these are the way people express their own feelings. In Eastern Europe, the Trinos were very popular. They were printed and reprinted a whole lot. Today they're dead because nobody talks Yiddish anymore. And as I said before, the sociology has radically changed. Because whereas once upon a time, there was a large mass of traditionalist men and women, the type, the type that uh, they call mimetic, you know, like uh, Professor Soloveitchik talks about, in this famous article, what's it called, Rupture and Reconstruction. I always like that title. It sounds like something for hernia. But anyway, uh, but you know, he talks about mimesis and so forth, in which people just knew what to do because they grew up in traditional families, but they weren't um, self-aware to orthodoxy, in which you become self-aware. And part of the transition to orthodoxy, which, as you know, only affected a few, the Rove, Minion, Rove, Binion went off the derrick. So part of the orthodoxy is to use simple words, base Yaakov, you know, the, that whole concept of you give women also a good um, education, maybe not Gemara, but, you know, we give a, a, a good education, in which case the girl can, can read and understand the tefillahs and the sitter, even the machzer, right? Uh, not the hard stuff, the men can't understand the hard stuff either. Raise your hand if you understand what we read yesterday in the in the slichas on the Sarbatevis. You know, unless you're a veteran and all that, uh, I doubt it. And it wasn't even such a hard uh, poem. Uh, most people don't understand, you know, poetry and things like that. But, you know, basic stuff. Emes Vemuno, you know, Hashkiveno, you know, things like that. Basic stuff you can understand. At least I think so. Uh, and so the, the Claudius has always had two tracks, a dual track. One is the formal and the other is the informal. The formal is the Sidorum. There's never been a single sitter. Uh, all the different uh, Kehillas kind of developed their own Sidurim um, and either became attached to them or not so much over the course of time. Um, I'm not an expert in all the liturgies, but I know there's not one thing called Nusuk Sfaradi. There's d different ones. There's the Turks and the Iraqis and the Moroccans. And the other day I said Jerba, you know, the Tunisians and so on and so forth. And, uh, same thing with the Ashkenaz, you know. We broke into, very, you know, 250 years ago, they broke into the Hasidim and the Misnagdim. That was one of the big fights in the beginning over, you know, do you have the right to change the sitter? Uh, this is part of the fact that with the rise of the Arizal and, and Lurianic Kabbalah, so uh, changes were instituted in the davening um, 
for Kabbalistic purposes in some circles, and the Hasidim took it and ran with the ball. Uh, and again, this was just interesting to me because the person I was thinking about uh, in terms of translation and explanation was uh, Sadiagon. Asked me a question, why am I thinking of Sadiagon, especially in connection with all this? Moshe Levi in Israel sent me an article today. It was very interesting from a Korishon, which is some Israeli business. And um, uh, I'm not sure exactly what it is. I think it's like a middle-of-the-road Orthodox newspaper. But I could be wrong. And take a look at it if you if you can read Hebrew. And basically, it's it, it, I thought it was extremely interesting. There's a guy who's Lubavitcher, but he's a Syrian. He's, he's born in Syria, in Aleppo. And he was one of these people who escaped from Assad and got to Israel. And he's uh, and he's Chabad. You know, he converted in other words to Chabad when he came to Israel. And um, he, but he's born in Syria and grew up in Syria from, you know, under Assad Sr. And what he's doing, it, I thought it was very interesting. What he's doing is translating the, the Tanakh into Arabic. Uh, but modern, uh, good Arabic. Um, using what? Uh, the answer is Sadigon. So Sadigon, who lived a thousand years ago and more, wrote the one of the very first Siddurim. Uh I have it right here in front of me, Siddur of Sadigon, which has a lot of Arabic in it. Now, when I say Arabic, I mean Judeo-Arabic. Notice it's Arabic with Hebrew letters. So that's the art scroll of yesteryear. You understand? It's the art scroll of yesteryear. And I have... There's only one edition, and it has the Arabic on one side and the Hebrew on the other side. This is from Simcha Asaf, again, my favorite guy, one of my favorite guys. And, um, you know, obviously, Sajigon was facing the same situation. Most Jews in his time, and I'm talking about the 10th century in Bavel, Bavel, the headquarters of the Gemara, Sajigon lived in Baghdad. That's where Surah and Pumadisa, the yeshivas where they made the Gemara. So that was the Iker Malkam Yiddishkeit. Most people didn't speak Hebrew and understand Hebrew in the Siddur. And so Sadio was the type of guy who said, I'm going to do something about it, or at least I'll give it a try. And he more or less put out an art scroll sitter. That's kind of what it is. Of course, according to the standards of the Arabic 10th century, you know, mutatis mutantis, but it's, it is an art scroll sitter of a certain type. But that's not all. Sadio also went, and one second, where is it? I have it here somewhere. And he translated... The Chumash into Arabic. Here. I have, whoops. I have from the Mosad Rav Kook. Uh, Pirish Rebbeinu Sadigon al Torah. Oh, this is from long ago. That's from Kapach, from 1963. And, um, as I understand it, this is, 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 I think, is this his commentary separate from the translation? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, perhaps it is. Um, perhaps it is. If if I have this correct, Sadiqon did two things. I mean, did many things, but he did two things. He has a translation like Uncleus. Then he has a Pirish, very brief, uh, which is very, um, what's the right word? Linguistic. And, um, and in the, in the Chazalic type sense, you know, so, uh, I'm just opening at random. See what I'm saying? In other words, you read, what do you mean, you place 
the the, the mishpatim in front of you. What is it? A, a, a dish of food you place it in front of them? No. Tosfos name means shetikrelos name with plum date. So um, the thing is that you have from a gadol Yisrael a from translation of the chumash. And when I say translation, mamish like uncles. In other words, it's not a literal translation. Adraba. In places where it's proper to be non-literal, that's where he is. But we're not talking about Arsbol or you or some joker or something. We're talking about Sadi over here. And what this guy, this Lubavitcher, has done is um, issue now um, translation of Chumash, Bracious, and Shmos, and whatever so far. In translating Sadi 10th century Arabic into modern Arabic. So basically, if I can explain this in simple terms, as I understand it, I hope I'm right, he's giving a Maimonidean um, translation of the Chumash, so to speak. And if what I'm reading is true, it's made like a big hit among the Muslims, because, and I was surprised. I mean, he's got people from Algeria, from Sudan, and from all over the place, writing to him, fascinated with this, because the Muslims don't know anything about Judaism. And all they hear is propaganda, how bad we are. And I'm sure 99% buy into that. But there's always that 1%, which may be a lot bigger possibly than 1%, which is fascinating with Judaism. And he said some guy wrote him from Mauritania, which is not exactly a great center of intellectuality. He said, why did the Jews worship uh, uh, <laughs> Yud Kevavke, which he pronounced? He said, why do you worship that God? Why don't you want to worship the one God? I mean, the guy was a dummy, of course. And this guy explained to me, he said, no, actually, we believe in one God. To be perfectly honest, you Muslims got the idea from us, you know. That was like a chiddish to him. And he's, people from Hezbollah, you know, writing to him. Now, I personally think, this is just my hunch when I read this article, that these probably are Muslims, you have a Jew in the background. You get what I'm saying? You know, there's a lot of Muslims out there, especially in the Middle East, who at one time or another, over the centuries, the families were forcibly converted to Judaism. And who knows, maybe there's still a Pentelegid, so to speak, in this guy, even though right now he's a general of the Hezbollah. And if you think that's crazy, go look what happened with um, the head of the Nazi party in Hungary a couple years ago when he found that he was Jewish. Now I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's an Alababash Yeshiva or something like that. So, uh, you know, because he just discovered his identity was wrong. And apparently this guy's making big waves in a positive way with this adaptation, with the presentation of the Bible, the Old Testament, to the Muslim world in Arabic through the lenses of an of, of Saad Yagon, you know, a, a modern rendition. So what I took away from this article is that this guy is doing an R.A. Kaplan on Saad Yagon's uh, translation. By the way, that led me uh, to think about, you know, what I'm talking about today, which is various types of um, of translations and um, uh, Sidurim, and things like that. Or, ordinarily, otherwise, I wouldn't be thinking too much about it. And there's a bunch of Sidurim, by the way, in this uh, catalog. But what? So I asked uh, Stefanski, I said, Do you have anything in Sadi going over here? And uh, he mentioned two items. One of them was in the Novelos Chachma, which is so funny because I just pulled that out the other day. The Novelos Chachma is from, uh, uh, what do you call it? Yasharmi Kandia, who was a very famous Jewish. Uh, how shall I put it? I would say he was a, a from Moscow of the 17th century. That might be the way to put it. And, um, you, you know, people don't even know these people existed. And, you know, he came from a, but but the one that they're selling here in the auction is not just the Novelist Chachmetz. 
that all kind of other little things in it. And one of them was a Pirish on Sajion, which I thought was funny in light of what, the, what, I, what I read today. Now, all these things cost a lot of money. So it ain't my ballpark. And I'm not actually the type of person who buys old farm, but some people do. I was talking with Gideon. My goodness, down there in Houston, he's got like a uh, unbelievable collection. Uh, I don't know who he can show it to in Houston, Texas, but that's an unbelievable collection. Um, all of which goes to show you that the whole world... And, and by the way, he had another thing there. I can't find the catalog now. Um, a reference to Saad Yigon. No, the Pirish. He has like the first sitter, or the first... Not the first, but the second or third Hasidic sitter ever published with some of them. of uh, Rashkov. Well, these are famous names of yesteryear that no one's heard of today. Unless maybe you're Hasid, you know that. Uh, the rest of us don't ever heard of this stuff. And uh, and in the Shabsi Rashkov sitter, you know, uh, which predated, you know, the the, the Lubavish. Uh, you know what I mean? The the, the Nusachari. So, uh, you know, they have all this side you go and stuff. These things all have to do with the fact that prayer and Judaism is always going to run, like I say, in two, two tracks, because it has to, because it always faces an existential tension. On the one hand, you don't want to change the Nusach that's hallowed by the centuries, and Dachi has a great people like that put together. On the other hand, the 21st century is not the first century. <laughs> you understand? I need to be able to, to express myself in some other way, possibly. And could also be if I'm a female, I'm this the, this particular davening might not do it to me. I need to express it in the form of trinus or these Italian type trinus. The handwriting in that a lady's uh, uh, prayer book is beautiful. If you, if you look in the catalog, um, it's really something. Anyway, uh, I want to express it in my way. You know, I don't find. Let me. I'll, I'll put it down to dumb language. Suppose I was a girl. I'm just making this up. Obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at Shemonasri, and uh, I'm a girl or a boy. I don't see a prayer that says, help me out with Shaduchim. Now, you can work it in there, but somebody wants to say like this. I want to have a, a, a feel every day in which I say like this. Listen, I need luck with Shaduchim. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, it's the proper thing to do. Whenever you have a, anything trouble in life, the Jewish way is to daven for it. Doesn't mean you get an answer right away, you know, whatever. But that's the right way to go. That goes back to Avram Avinu, right? So you're down for it. But I don't find it in there. Or a person might say like this, I need help with my, uh, you know, MCATs or something like that. I don't see it in the Domini. Now, you might say stick it in the Shemakalein and all the rest of it. I know that. But you can understand that this might have led people in different times, different centuries, to say, I want to say something in my own language. And I want it to be part of the Domini for me. Right? For me. And as long as you're not violating dialogic places where it says you can't make a sick and all that kind of stuff, so there's no problem. And that is exactly what used to happen. Once in a while, the Tchinas may be popular enough that they'll enter into the prayer book. I'm thinking, of course, of the Hirotsons on Rosh which is originally a Tchina of some kind or another, and then got stopped into the sitter. There's also the other Tchina... Oy, that you say on the Shalash Golem, you know, uh, you take out the Torah, you know what I mean, Shedizakini, Ani, so-and-so, Ben, so-and-so, uh, well, you know, all those good things in there, which is not part of the regular field, but it's got put in there because it, it was a very, very popular type of Tchina. So there's nothing wrong with this, um, but the form world 
I would say in the last 150 years, has become very uh, uptight about this, simply because non-Frum Jewish movements use the strategy of change of liturgy to implement anti-Frum strategies. You understand? Notice, the Reform, the Conservative, when they started, one of the main things they did, in fact, the main thing that the Reform, what has the Reform movement done? Zip. They made new Sidur. You know, that's what it is. What else have they contributed? You know, so culturally, garnished. So in other words, they have new sedurim. Um Now, they're going to claim this speaks to them. I get it. Because their sedurim were so objectionable, they took out the Hashem and the Mashiach and Sion and Tresamesim and who knows what. So, uh, you know, therefore you tell me like this, I want to add something to the Davani, I want to change something, I want to say an extra feel. I want to say something that's more sensitive to me as a woman or more sensitive to me as a, as a guy in Shadukim or more sensitive to me as a person with a particular sickness or something like that. Uh, I don't find it in the regular sitter, but I don't want to make my own up uh, or use one that I saw that somebody else likes. And uh, hence, there's this parallel you know, uh, phenomenon. Because of the uh, guilt by association with the non-fruit movements, so in the last 150, 200 years, we're very uncomfortable with somebody saying, I'm, I'm making my own feel this up or something like that. Because who knows where it'll lead? And to tell you the truth, there's so many left-wing movements out there and open orthodox and who knows what that uh, I hear, you know, next thing you know, somebody's going to make a feel for the gays or something like that. Who knows? You know, so, uh, you know, once you say anything's okay, uh, uh, who was it? Remember uh, Obama had that um, Hanukkah party at the White House? And he had some lady rabbi come and she said, we're going to light the eight candles on the menorah. One candle is for the Palestinian refugees. Another one is for the people suffering from AIDS and so on and so forth. And so this makes everybody uncomfortable with the idea of innovation. You understand? Because innovation has been abused. But Be'etzem, it's, it's, it's intrinsic to the prayer process. Uh, Be'etzem, there's nothing wrong with it. And our Avos and Imos did a lot of that stuff. That's exactly what these Italian type things are in Hebrew. Because in Italy, the girl who wrote this obviously had a Hebrew education. It's Manuka too. I love it. And uh, versus, and Eastern Europe it would have been in Yiddish. That's what Eastern Europe would have been in Yiddish. The Sephardim, I don't know. I don't know if the Sephardim developed their own tchinus or not. I just don't know. But I do know, I remember years ago, I was just talking with somebody about this today. I saw, I can't remember where that um, Professor Shapiro, uh, Mark Shapiro, his big historian, uh, wrote to, I mean, he published this. He, he had a correspondence with Rabbi Messas, who was the Golador in Morocco. He was the big cheese over there. I'm talking about the big posek, uh, Ramesas. And I have some of his challenges. And um, he asked him something along the lines, what was women's davening like in old Morocco? And if I remember correctly, he said women didn't daven. Because uh, used to get married at three, four, five years old. And, you know, uh, there's no education for them. And before you know it, they're, they're mothers and this and that. And uh, the only davening they had was they would stand in front. This is what he said. This is what Messes told him. In the old, old days, you know, the woman, uh, who's from woman, would stand in front of the mezuzah in the house with her hands up, like like when you bench lift or something like that, 
and just say something in in in, in Judeo Arabic. You know, just talk to God. The re, the real tefillah from yesteryear, and there are many variations of this. Um, this is why in the Mishnahic times they said the shliach zebras mostly everybody, you know, because other people going to it. And there are many Sephardic communities in the course of their history where that's what they did, as you know. So it's a very complicated uh, kind of business. But I personally, I personally uh, find, especially this I, when I saw it in the catalog, I find it very charming because uh, I ain't got the money for it, but I find it very charming because um, this, this, this is whatever this girl wrote uh, and composed, I mean, that's what she was thinking. You understand? Ani hischazakti b'shem sarai v'hu yali b'sadi shema b'kol tachnuni v'choneni v'yozerli elhei Avram eson ezrachi elhei Yitzchak I mean, she's educated. She's calling Avram eton ezrachi and so on and so forth. Uh, I just think it's... And it's got Italian headings because she is Italian. So, you know, the before each uh, little prayer what it's all about. Um... What a little uh, treasure. Uh, all you need is like a couple thousand dollars <laughs> to get something like this. But it me it, it, it calls our attention to the fact that we, most of us, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, maybe I'm a matching thing. Most of us don't usually give that much uh, interest in the sitter as a safer. Uh, you know, the sitter, you haven't shown for Dominic. But the sitter has its own history. Um as a safer in and of itself. And uh, prayer is, you know, there always has to be some amount of rote. Otherwise, most people say, yeah, I'll dab and I'll dab and I'll never get around to it. But it, if it's totally rote, it's technical also. So it's very interesting, this, as I say, existential tension, which I think is, uh, you know, uh, maybe characteristic of all faiths, but I don't know the other religions. I know the Jewish religion. And, uh, all the Jews everywhere have been more or less on the same page, but never exactly on the same page, which is why when you go around the world, if you're one of these world travelers, I've been in a fair amount of communities over there. You know, there's always the, the differences with the localness, of, but there's also the commonalities and the similarities, and that's what makes the Jewish life kind of interesting. Um, anyway, that's what I wanted to say today. Once again, I want to thank the Stefanski family. Uh, and as I said before, if you check out this uh, catalog is just a lot of money. Uh, I'm just talking about the sitter stuff. They have a ton of other kind of business over here also. It's kind of cool, but uh, I don't know if I can put down 100k on a schlaw or something like that. But with uh, without any further ado, I'll wish you a good job and a good week. I'm gonna, I hope maybe tomorrow I'll talk about where I plan to be this coming weekend. I mentioned to you already, I plan to be in, in Lawrence, um, and I'll give you more details later. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.